Well, a very good morning and a happy new year to you. Uh, this is the St John's Southbourne output for virtual services uh, for the time being under our, our lockdown. It's Sunday the 10th of January and welcome. Uh, my name is Matthew Luff, I'm the vicar at St John's and it's really good to be able to uh, touch base with people and just reconnect with you after our little Christmas break. Thank you very much for your kind wishes and obviously it's very sad for us to have to say um, you know, we're going to keep the morning services closed for the time being. We just considered that as too great a risk. We felt, as I put in my email, uh, we felt that a, a variant of COVID that wasn't really that well understood uh, was not going to be a good idea. Um, so we, we, we'll work on it. And obviously we're working hard on some of the other things that we're uh, doing. But that's how it is at the moment. And I'm you know, sorry to do that. Um, but here we are. We can be gathered together. I do hope... You join us for coffee at 11:15 over on our uh, over on our Zoom uh, our Zoom codes that you can get through our our website, and also we look forward to being together uh, for I Wonder tonight Bible study that Mike Wilson will be lead, uh, leading, not leaving that would be terrible, um, but um, so getting together and again sharing fellowship and encouraging one another in the Word. Today is uh, we're continuing our series on the Kingdom of God, and looking forward to just changing. You know, challenging a little bit perhaps about how we think and, and what we think is really going on so hopefully that'll be an encouraging thing and in your home groups there will be uh, notes of course as well to help you sort of dig in a little deeper before uh, we begin uh, just a few words from psalm 31 in you O lord i have taken refuge let me never be put to shame Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Free me from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Redeem me, O Lord, the God of truth.
Well, Father, as we gather together this morning, we are aware of perhaps increased anxiety or pressures uh, upon us, things that we are unable to do that we would love to. But we pray that you would be with us, that your salvation and your love would be made known to us, that we would be reminded once again of your great care for us, and pray that by your spirit you would be with us as we read your word, as we pray, as we celebrate this morning. In his name, your name. Amen. So we are taking the reading uh, from Paul's second letter to Timothy. And it's a following from chapter 3, verse 10, uh, which if you can follow that in your own Bibles at home, that would be great and um, really helpful, I hope. And we'll go from chapter 3, verse 10 through to chapter 4, verse 5. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions I endured? Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God, and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. This is the word of the Lord. Well, Father, as we come before you this morning in our homes, um, perhaps on our own, perhaps with our loved ones, we pray that you would help us and feed us uh, this morning. Amen. If we are Christians, then we accept certain things to be true. Um, Christ died for our sins as part of God's plan to restore all of his creation. That Je As part of that, Jesus died. He rose from the dead. He appeared to his disciples and ascended to heaven. The these events are rooted in world history. Jesus was a real person and Christians also hold that he will return, though we do not know when. The difference in being a believer is that we move from spiritual darkness to a spiritual light and life. We, we have got some kind of something in front of us that we can also experience here 
and now and, and we commonly call that the kingdom of heaven and that's what Jesus described it as he talks about this this kingdom of God of which we can be part and that's what we're exploring as part of this series I want to explore how our faith helps us to understand the world that we're in why it does some of the things it does why it doesn't do some of the things it might and and how we fit into that and and where it's all going really so if we've come to faith we, we should have a slightly different worldview from those around us uh, who, who may think differently to ourselves. And that's important because how we think um, influences both what we do and how we feel about situations that we're in. Those are really important uh, constructs. Those are really important things that help us understand who we are. And, and the reality is, if, you're, if you've been a Christian for quite a long time, if you, especially if you were, became a Christian in your teenage your childhood years like Timothy did um, or, or, although it may be true if you became Christian in riper years there's there's an inevitable thing about the things that you learn uh, sort of take on a different feeling when you go into the world and find out that not everybody feels and believes the same way as you do when we talk about our faith some people are interested some offer platitudes and they say well that's nice for you uh, and that's really good I hope it helps and that's good and some are genuinely horrified um, and it's considered, you know, sometimes considered quite um, backward or almost barbarian to sort of hold on to some of these ideas. Um, I remember going to meet and uh, meeting a bunch of people uh, for a bike ride. And one of the first things they said when you found, when you found out I was a Christian was, oh, you're not one of those six day creationists, are you? And it's like, oh, my gosh, you know, there's there's a sort of latent opposition uh, to any to, to any sort of opposing worldview or any understanding that was different. Uh, so that was quite interesting and you can ask me about this six days later if you want uh, and what I think about that. But it's inevitable isn't it? And in his book Surprised by Hope, uh, by God, um, Gerard Hughes describes these three stages of faith that the childhood faith that we have uh, gets sort of knocked about a bit and mashed up a bit when we become, when we go out into the world and we start to have to interact with other people, other cultures, other beliefs and, or none. Um, and then we sort of reconcile those things and we, we sort of, as we become more mature and we um, sort of say, well, that's how the world is. And how do we make that step? How do we become those sorts of people who can sort of look at the world and say, oh, well, yes, but I understand it now as this. That's quite important, actually, in order to help us um, both cope with perhaps the situation we're in at the moment, uh, but also with our, the world of view, you know, the wider view around us. It's, 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 significant. it's not an insignificant thing. A lot of the pressures that we feel are often about what we think people will think, and that's, and that's understandable. Paul wrote to Timothy uh, in order to prepare him for the very difficult task of leading a difficult situation. And lots of us are in difficult situations. We are currently living in a sort of a day by day uncertainty with also the added burden of massive contingency planning. Um, and so those two things going together. What do I do and how am I going to do it? Really, um, really sort of quite a complex uh, task at the moment. And so it's important for us to sort of be able to reflect on some of those challenges and the things that Paul says to writes to Timothy. Uh, at this time are really helpful to Timothy and I think there's some useful things for us as well. I think the first thing is to, to say is that in chapter 3 from verse 10 and uh, 10 to 12 Paul reminds Timothy of his own experiences. Um, it's quite interesting that he goes backwards rather than sharing some of the difficulties they'd had together. Paul reminds Timothy 
um, of what's happened to Paul already. Uh, and he lists these difficulties he's had in Antioch, Iconium and in Lystra, uh, where he was both vehemently and violently opposed and sort of driven out of the town. And it was important to Timothy, of course, to be reminded of that because Timothy uh, met Paul in Lystra. So that's the sort of a coming together. If Timothy was ever going to say, hold on a minute, I didn't know about this. Paul would say, well, hold on, <laughs> what was happening to me when we first met? This is the continuation. This is something that just carries on. It is what it is. You know, people don't enjoy or want to engage with more than that. They don't want to engage with the word uh, or, the, or the truth that we're talking about. They actually reject it and they, want, they don't want anything to do with it in quite a violent way. So that's quite important uh, that um, Paul recognises that these things have always been so. Uh, but also it is likely to be true for Timothy and in the latter part of you know, the, the later part of the reading verses uh, three to six, uh, three to five, sorry, of chapter four. He, you know, he anticipates that Timothy will have these troubles, too. You know, this is nothing new and there is nothing new about opposition to God's word or, or the truths that Paul and Timothy and the church uh, have been spreading and, and telling people since we were called to follow Christ. It's, it's really important. And so we see that what Paul experienced, he anticipates will be Timothy's experience. So how is he going to help him uh, with this? Well, Timothy had quite a difficult job, actually, a bit more, a bit more complex than perhaps it might seem to us uh, you know, to, you know, on, on the reading of it. He had, uh, according to a Gordon Fee's analysis, um, the church in Ephesus, where Timothy had to go, was um, a place that had started to have uh, false teachers had crept in and had emerged amongst the church, and they were propagating these other sorts of gospels. In fact, they'd sort of added sort of Jewish myths, uh, which were sort of possibly to do with sort of angelic bodies and the you know the hierarchies of angels and how they might. Um, help you in your journey towards heaven uh, but they blended them with this kind of Greco-Roman spirituality so there was this kind of weird blend of stuff going on in Ephesus which you know Timothy's got a lot on his plate to try and pick that apart and on the face of it you know when I first thought I was reading Fee's analysis I thought you know actually that's quite a lot like some of the things that we hear and we sort of encounter today and if you ask people about uh, what they think about the world. It's an, it's an it's always an interesting, it's always an engaging thing to do uh, and it throws up some really interesting ideas and answers sometimes so it's a good thing to be able to engage with people on that. But Timothy's job was to try to steer the church back on course and although Paul had expelled these teachers um, they were still causing trouble on the fringes and there were, some, there were some issues within the churches as a result. So Timothy's job is going to be quite tightly focused um, in, a, in a situation, in a context where lots of different views were being pressed in on him. What was the point? What was going to be the point uh, of, of doing this? How was he going to sort of get through? It's quite interesting. To, to us, it would look quite new age. Um, and just to give you a flavour, I've been following some events in Canada lately, and um, there's a chap called David Short, who used to be Jim Packer's um, personal pastor. And he recalls how in 1999, the American Episcopal Bishop, uh, John Shelby Spong, wrote a book, Why Christianity Must Change or Die. And it was in a bid to formulate, in Spong's words, formulate a Christianity for the postmodern age, 
where claims like the virgin birth, the resurrection, and biblical inerrancy, infallibility rather, have long since been challenged and discarded by science and philosophy. And Short goes on to say it was an attempt to stop the hemorrhaging, and many agreed with him. Um, Short remembers synod gatherings where they would sing hymns from Hindu scriptures, pray to a god of many faces, and they annually supported the women's spirituality dialogue uh, that taught women to channel spirits. Now, if this was going on in your church, you'd be extremely concerned. Uh, and if, it, if you were saying that, actually, I want to live a godly life, what part of those things got within, you know, within, the, within my faith, what it means to follow Jesus Christ? So Timothy's job is to go in and try and sort this mess out. How are you going to take that on? What sorts of things, when you've got a daunting task in front of you, what sorts of things would help you with that? Well, I found two things in this passage that were really particularly helpful, and I'm going to be quite careful about those. The, the first is that Paul considered himself to be in the presence of God. This is really important. Listen to the charge at the beginning of chapter 4. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. It's really, really significant, isn't it, that Paul wasn't with Timothy, but Paul understood himself to be in the presence of God. This is really helpful, isn't it? Uh, and it's often something that we overlook. We can live our lives in the presence of God. It means we're not isolated or alone or on the outskirts of some, some mysterious God that doesn't know anything about us, but actually we can be in his presence. I'm minded of both Abraham and Moses, you know, who were called them you know, God's friends. Be that close to God. Paul hadn't been with Timothy. Um, he was in a cell alone and waiting for his execution. But there was an acceptance that even there he was in God's presence. And that's really encouraging, isn't it? Because to be in God's presence means that he has done things for us already. We can only be in God's presence because Jesus Christ has forgiven us. We have accepted. He has, he has atoned for us. He has died for us and we have accepted that in faith. He's washed us of our uncleanliness. God has no cause to be angry with us. His wrath has been satisfied and we can live as his children. We can call him Father, unashamed, unafraid. I think that's a wonderful thing to remember, isn't it? That the Christian can live in the presence of God. If Paul could say that, in his cell, awaiting his execution. And I, I know we've looked at this text before, but I think it's worth reminding ourselves, isn't it? That we can be in the presence of God. He is aware of us and he cares for us. And I think that's hugely significant. The second thing to underline is that Timothy is reminded by Paul to have a view towards the reappearing Epiphanian epiphany season, as it's quite well tied in, of Christ and his kingdom. It refers to the completion of all things. Jesus has promised to return and the blessings we experience now are just the foretastes of the kingdom to come and come it surely will. Christ's promises are not just hopes, but they're real promises. 
Jesus didn't say, oh, they're going to take me, you know, they're going to take me, execute me, and I hope I'll be resurrected in three days. He knew, he had a certainty about what he did. Our hope is certain. Um, I was listening to somebody the other day who was pointing out that the English word hope has always got the element of doubt and uncertainty in it. But, but the Christian hope is, is based on concrete things that have happened. And that person has promised concrete things to come. They're sure and certain. And that's really important. And if you know that those are the things that are coming, then you focus on them, don't you? I want to be part of that. I want to, I want to, be, I, I want to be fit in. I want to fit in there. I want to find a place there. Paul writes elsewhere that there is a place there. I want to find my place there. I want to know where I am. And that's going to shape my thinking. I want to be able to fit in. I want to be able to be part of it. And, and I want to be experience as much of it as I can beforehand now. In any kind of sport, as you approach the, 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 the last few hundred yards or the last few rounds or so, you know, whatever it is, whatever the sport is that you do, when the last few come along, you try a bit harder, don't you? And that's because you want to succeed. And if you've got your eye on that end game, if you've got the eye on that end result, which is Jesus coming uh, in, in all his glory with his kingdom, if that's the goal, then that's the focus, isn't it? So it's important to be focused on those things, isn't it? We have that sense of God's presence is with me. I have nothing to be afraid of. But what is coming is even more. Because one of the weird things about this, one of the amazing things, is that one day living in the presence of God and living in the kingdom of God are going to be one and the same thing in one and the same place because he promises that he will be with us. I will be their God and they will be my people. And that's, that's one of the sort of things we're, we're, you know, we're looking forward to, isn't it? sure and certain hope. So if that's the way we see ourselves, how are we going to understand what we should be doing? And Paul writes these fantastically famous words, doesn't he? All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And that's a fantastic passage, and I know that David uh, preached on it a little while ago, so I don't want to sort of rework or, 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 or overdo anything that he's already done, but I am struck by this thing about, this idea about being God-breathed. Um, we can overlay it and say, well, you know, it's about being inspired, and, and, and it's true, isn't it? But there's kind of another level, isn't there, of being inspired. I, God, in, in, in the Bible, God has given us accounts of his plan to rescue us and our desperate need for it. And it was written by those who he inspired to record what he had done so that we might learn and take encouragement from it, to put our trust in him, to seek his forgiveness and live in the light of the life that he is giving us in Jesus Christ. And the stories from the patriarchs to the apostles, the wisdom and the lamentations, the laws and the history of the people of God that he has worked through are all for our benefit and they are all to help us. There's nothing short or insufficient about God's word. It is going to help us every day. Dip into it. Read into it. Ask God, how is he going to help you today? What does that mean for you today? How is that going to encourage you? How is that going to challenge you? How is that going to warn you, perhaps? How is it going to exhort you to greater things? Because that same word enables us to question and challenge and encourage one another and the world we live in and encourage the people around us. It's there to say there's more than this, folks. Look at what the people of God have been given. Look at how he has worked with us in the past. 
It challenges the situation at the moment, rather than to sort of a, a random bunch of people on an island on a planet in the middle of the universe that nobody really knows much about. Actually, we find ourselves, we've got purpose, we've got meaning, we, we belong, we, we have a destiny. We've, we, in spite of our mistakes and the chaos in our lives, God has stepped in and said, yeah, you can be mine too. I want you. I want you to be one of my children, one of those extraordinary lengths he went to to make us his children so that we could call him father and call his name. And the Bible offers us those concrete examples of people who experience God's faithfulness to those promises. Imagine being under pressure to provide for people. Imagine you're in management right now. Who are you going to look to? How could the Bible help you? Well, I, you know, I look to this. I look to the examples of Moses and Joseph. You know, they had extraordinary demands on them. Yet, what was their focus? It was about talking to God about what might happen, what they might be able to do. Imagine having to encourage people, keep them going on track. Look at Caleb. Look at Barnabas. When things get tough, having the courage to say to speak up and say, "Still, things can happen." Having that vision just beyond where they were. If you're looking for leadership. Look to Nehemiah. How does he sort of inspire the people uh, to lift their heads once more? And if we're a bit wanting to feel honest, then look to David. And if we want to sort of see about in maintaining our integrity in a difficult culture, then read Daniel. There's plenty in there to inspire us and encourage us to question the world we're in and, in and exhort us uh, to greater things, living in the light of God's promises. It's an amazing story, isn't it? It's amazing reading. There's, there's more to be had uh, out of these than the few minutes that I've got here. But in conclusion, I want to say that living in the light of the kingdom means looking forward to the coming of Jesus while living under his lordship in the here and now. Accepting that he has called us, made us his, saved us, washed us, redeemed us and loved us. I'm waiting for us to be joined with him in that final thing. It calls us to question the world uh, that we're in, but hold fast to the truths that the kingdom is coming. That is our true destiny. It is more than just hope. It is a promise of God who carries us when our knees are feeling too weak and feeble. And it gives us hope because it is not based on our work, but on his. So if we want to live the people of God, if we want to be part of something, that is greater than ourselves, then we look to the work of Jesus Christ, what he has done for us, what he calls us to, and our duty and our joy when we answer the call to follow him. Amen. Well, it's, uh, it's a good idea, isn't it, to we want to continue our life in God's presence. It's a good idea to keep short accounts, uh, to have an open relationship with him, to talk to him about the things that are on our hearts. Uh, and it's always good before confession to have a little moment of, of thought and reflection about what's going on in us. But as we do, Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is close at hand. So let's turn away from our sin and turn to Christ, confessing our sins in penitence and faith. And we say together, most merciful God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we confess we have sinned in thought, word and deed. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbours as ourselves. 
In your mercy forgive what we have been, help us to amend what we are, and direct what we shall be, that we may do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with you, our God. Amen. Well, may the God of love and power forgive you and free us, free you from your sins, heal and strengthen you by his Spirit, and raise you to new life in Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us begin our time of intercessions with these words from Scripture. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans of welfare and not to harm you, but to give you hope and a future. These words are found in Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Father God, we face a new year of uncertainty. May these words of truth touch our hearts and become a reality to each one of us. We thank you that we have free access to your word. And in this year, help each one of us to commit to reading the scriptures on a daily basis. We give you thanks for the various notes and study aids available to us to enlighten us and to aid our understanding. Thank you, Lord, for all those from St. John's who provide the daily updates, which also help and guide us in our walk with you when we are unable to meet together to worship you and to share fellowship with one another. Thank you also for our home groups, for the modern technology which means that we are able to keep in touch and continue to grow together in love and understanding and be committed to the furtherance of your kingdom. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. At this time, Lord, when many people are feeling lost and anxious, may your word, worldwide church be an instrument of peace and of love and of healing, Lord, in this broken world. We pray for your churches in Southbourne, for all who worship you in this village, that we might spend, spread your light of love and peace into our community, Lord. Give th we give thanks for Matt and for the team at St John's, that they may be renewed and refreshed by your Spirit as they lead us forward into this new year. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. As our schools are forced to close once again, we pray for all involved in the education of our children. We remember all the head teachers, teachers and classroom assistants. Help each one of them as they face new challenges to provide online lessons and support for the children in their care. We pray especially for the disadvantaged families where children struggle with home learning, are isolated and miss the interaction of school friends and teachers. Lord, we pray for all families known to us 
and we pray for Richard and Kim as they continue to work with all the youngsters from this village. We thank you for the contacts they have made and for the groups that they have continued to hold throughout this pandemic, especially the Youth Alpha Lord. May these youngsters continue to grow in faith and walk with you day by day. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. During this time of pandemic, we pray for all in positions of authority in this land. We give you thanks for Elizabeth, our Queen, and for all her government ministers. Aid them as they rule this country. May they look to you for wisdom and for guidance and help each one of us during this time to play our part, to obey the rules which are put in place for our safety and our well-being. Lord, we bring before you in prayer the people of America. We have witnessed some very distressing scenes of violence and anarchy this week. We ask that you restore peace and democracy to that land and that you your will will be done there bring healing and restoration lord in the face of bigotry and hatred we pray that your will will be done we pray lord for the transition of power to joe Biden at the end of this month will be peaceful and happen without incident. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray, Lord, for all working on the front line who face mental and physical exhaustion as they fight this pandemic. We remember especially those working in our hospitals and care homes where they are experiencing extra long shifts and face such emotional stresses as they have to deal with those at the end of their lives. We also remember before you, Lord, those who are suffering from mental torment, for those who are unable to make ends meet, who have lost their form of employment and are having to rely on food banks to feed their families. Show us as a church how we can offer our support to those feeling lost, rejected and alone. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And finally, Lord, we pray for all who are separated from loved ones at this time. For those who are feeling lonely and whose lives are feeling unfulfilled. We remember the chronically ill, those in constant pain, the depressed and the despairing. We remember especially those from our church family and we name them to you now in our hearts. And Lord, we just pray that you'll be with each one of us during this coming week that we may show your love to all those that we meet. 
Lord, accept these prayers for the sake of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.
in keeping with uh, some of the things we've been thinking about, it's the start of the year and we're thinking about how we follow Jesus Christ and about what we look forward to. Um, I think I always share this at the beginning of the year uh, as the fellowship of the unashamed. I will put this, I put this up on the uh, website, I'll get Ian to put this up on the website as well. But I remember that these words were written by somebody who died for their faith. They were written the night before his execution, when people did not want to know about Jesus Christ. We want to be inspired. We want to be inspired. We want to be the people who've got a glimpse of the vision of, of what awaits us. And, and, and that inkling, that whisper of the one who calls us. Let's say together, I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of his. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colourless dreams, tamed visions, worldly talking, cheap giving and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotion, plaudity or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognised, praised, regarded or rewarded. I live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by patience, am uplifted by prayer and labour in power. My pace is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven. My road is narrow, my way rough, my companions few, but my guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded or delayed. I won't flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the adversary, negotiate at the table of the enemy, pander at the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cause of Jesus Christ. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till all know and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he'll have no problem recognising me. My banner will be clear. Wishing you a very prosperous and blessed 2021.